0: out on religion come to me jesus says get away with me and you'll recover your life i'll show you how to take a real rest walk with me and work with me watch how i do it learn the unforced rhythms of grace i can't lay anything too heavy i won't lay anything too heavy or ill-fitting on you keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lay When was the last time you stopped to catch your breath? When was the last time you paused and just took a deep breath and let it out slowly? And then did it again. Join me. And let it out slowly. One more time. And let it out slowly. And you weren't at the doctor's office with that cold metal thing on your back. Doesn't happen very often, does it? Doesn't. We're on this treadmill called life, making this mad dash toward this experience called vacation, which we hope will, re- will help us to recover, but is always too short and either results in a complete collapse on vacation because we work too hard to get there or a month to recover after we get back from it. The truth is this about life it will never slow down. Life will never slow down. So you and I need to learn down to slow down in the midst of a pace of life that will not slow down around us. The problem is, is we don't know how to create a healthy rhythm of work and rest that creates a sustainable cadence for us to live by. Our problem. So we've dabbled into this as a church over the last couple of years. If you've been here around CCC. But I have recognize it's time for us to take this to another level, to really say we're going to be serious about this challenge of figuring out how to rest. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about this subject. And my prayer for you is that you will begin to enter the rhythm that God has designed for all of us to live life at its best. And that you'll begin to enter it and experience enough benefits from it that you'll say, this is worth me changing my lifestyle to do this. We're going to look at four characteristics of resting. The Bible calls this concept of Sabbath, which means to stop. We're going to look at what does it mean to stop. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to talk about limits, accepting our limits. The second is what does it mean to rest? The third, what does it mean to delight? And the fourth, what does it mean to contemplate? And so even if you, in your life and rhythms, you pause periodically, maybe you take a break from work, I want, you to, I want to talk to you about how to engage in that in a way that gives you life. And isn't just you're crashing. That's the way we talk about life right now, isn't it? When you have a break, when you have a day off, what do you say? I'm going to what? I'm going to crash. I'm going to crash. That's a pretty rough way to live life when that's how we live. We pour ourselves out and then we crash. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. And I'm not sure our creator had that in mind when he made us. To get us started, let's take a look at the longest commandment in the list of ten that God gave us, which gives us a pattern for work and rest, a rhythm that brings us great joy and fulfillment. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, um, God said this to Moses He said, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, but He rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so over these next four weeks, we're going to look at each one of these elements of of Sabbath rest. The stop, the rest, the delight, and the contemplate. And I hope this will grow and evolve into something in your life that isn't something that you tolerate or you do because you feel like you have to, but you look forward to. You anticipate the opportunity to experience this on a weekly basis. You see, God's plan was never for us to exhaust ourselves all year long to hopefully have that week longer vacation, but His design for us was to create this healthy rhythm of work and rest, work and rest, work and rest. And so there's an idea that I want you to wrap your minds around this morning as we get started, and that's this. When we refuse to set, accept the limits when we refuse to accept limits, we set a pace of life that is unsustainable and unattainable. You say that again. When we refuse to accept limits that God has set in our lives, we choose a pace of life that is unsustainable and that is unattainable. You know, a few years ago, my wife and I had the chance to uh, go to Hawaii for a uh, anniversary trip as, uh, to celebrate our 20, 25 years of being married and. And one of the things I wanted to do as we went to the Big Island over to the North Shore is um, I'd heard about this place called Half Moon Bay where uh, President Obama would go and body surf. And I'd done a little bit of that you know, over in the Jersey Shore and we have been over there. And uh, so I was looking forward to doing this there and I thought, this could be kind of a fun experience. you know? So um, as um, I went there, and when we drove up, we saw these kind of outdoor showers, which that's not uncommon to have them, but people just, they stood there for like 10 minutes trying to, trying to shower off. I was like, why are they doing that? And then, you know, you see the waves kind of rolling in. And then I started to make my way out in the waves. My wife did not venture into this, uh, this uh, pursue this adventure with me. It was, I was all on my own. So I started to make my way out on the waves. Um, these waves were so strong and were coming so fast that, you know, I would dive underneath the wave. As soon as I got my head up and got my feet down, there was another one. And I would go on again. And then there was another one. There was, and the waves just would not stop. It took me almost ten minutes to get out far enough that I could turn around and body surf back in. But life feels like that at times, doesn't it? Just a wave after wave after wave. And you can barely uh, catch your breath. And there's another one that comes. And that's why life comes at us at times. And so I turned around and, and uh, started to stroke as the next wave pushed me. And I felt like somebody put me in the dryer and turned on high. That's what it felt like. I got flipped upside down. I got turned sideways. I didn't know if I was floating back out of the ocean or into the shore until I had, was face first in the sand. That's about then I knew I was on the beach. But I did it again the second time. You know. um, but it was just nonstop, wave after wave after wave after wave that you could barely get out to where you could turn around and come in. And then I stood for 15 minutes in the shower and knew why they did that. You got sand everywhere you can imagine. Places you can't imagine. Don't want to imagine. Um, But then a little bit later, we found one of the things we found out about in Hawaii is that there's no private beaches. So every beach is open to everyone. And so you can drive down the road and you can see people's houses. You can literally walk between their houses out to this beautiful and then we went a little further where there was a break there was an island or a reef out there would stop the waves and there would be just this unbelievably pristine beach where the water isn't even moving and you can see way down deep and it's just calm and peaceful and at rest and as i thought about those two paradoxes i thought that really describes our life doesn't it For much of our lives, it feels like it's wave after wave after wave after wave where we can barely catch our breath. And then when we do catch our breath, the only response is we crash. But how many of us long to be at a place of calmness and rest? There's something inside us that just longs for that, isn't there? There really is. And I think that God has something like that to offer to us. But it's going to require us to walk down a road that's not easy to walk. And this subject this morning is not one that I like to talk about because it's a big struggle for me. And that's about embracing my limits. You see, the key to stopping is embracing my limits. You say, what do you mean by limits? It means the things that I'm limited in to be able to do. Whenever I take an assessment on emotional health or sometime, something like that, the, the area of, of setting boundaries or limits, i always do. that's the worst one for me. I always assume and think that I can do more than I actually have hours in the day to do. And so this is incredibly hard. I'm, tell, I'm saying this to remind myself as much as I am to challenge you this morning. But the first thing about embracing my limits is I have to see myself the way God sees me, as amazing but limited. Amazing but limited. See, God's very clear about His creation. In Genesis 1, God says this. He says, I've made man in my own image. In the image of God, He created him, Male and female, He created them. We are made in God's image and God's likeness. And that makes us amazing. We're also made just a little lower than the angels. In Psalm, David says this. He says, you made them a little God says this to David. You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. And then look at this. He says, you made them ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. flocks, herds, animals, birds, fish, everything that swims. God says, you're in charge of it all. I've created it. I've made it. And you're in charge. And that makes us amazing that we're made in God's image. And that we have this incredible responsibility that we're entrusted with. But Then maybe even more valuable than that is that God loved us so much in John 3 that he was willing to, To give His one and only Son, that whoever would perish, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. We're worth so much to God, He would give up what He values and treasures the most. And so we're made in God's image to rule His creation, and God gave His Son so that we could have a relationship, but that does not make us God. John the Baptist said this here He said, when people were coming to him and saying, are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? He said, no, I'm not the Messiah, but I've come ahead of him. The truth is, when we worry, we take God's place as the one in control of our lives. When we don't admit our own sin, we leave ourselves self-deceived. So, what makes us think that we're more important than we are? Well, part of it is our culture. Our culture says you can be anything you want to be, but I hate to tell you, you're probably not going to be Hussein Bolt. You're probably not going to be Serena Williams. Likely not going to be LeBron or Tom Brady, you know? Probably not going to be Mark Zuckerberg. I hate to tell you. But the truth is, You can be the person that God has made you to be. And not only be the person that God has made you to be, but God has a plan for you to make a difference in your world that nobody else can do. Except for you. And that makes you amazing and incredible and valuable to God and to everybody around you. But the truth is, we're not God, and we have limits. There's one other thing that has made us think that we're limitless, Um, and that's these little things in our back pocket. I want you to watch this video clip and listen to this explanation of them.
1: We know that engagement with social media and our cell phones releases a chemical called dopamine. That's why when you get a text, it feels good. Right? So, you know, we've all had it where you're feeling a little bit down or feeling a bit lonely, and so you send out ten texts to ten friends, you know, hi, 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 hi. Because <laughs> it feels good when you get a response, right? right? It's why we count the likes, it's why we go back ten times to see if, and if it's going, if our, my Instagram is growing slower, I would, I, I, did I do something wrong, do they not like me anymore, right? The, the trauma for young kids to be unfriended, right? Because we know when you get it, you get a hit of dopamine, which feels good. It's why we like it, it's why we keep going back to it. Dopamine is the exact same chemical that makes us feel good when we smoke, when we drink, and when we gamble. In other words, it's highly, highly addictive, right? We have age restrictions on smoking, gambling, and uh, alcohol. And we have no age restrictions on social media and cell phones, which is the equivalent of opening up the liquor cabinet and saying to our teenagers, hey, by the way, this adolescence thing, if it gets you down... (laughs) But that's basically what's happening. That's basically what's happening, right? That's basically what happened. You have an entire generation that has access to an addictive, numbing chemical called dopamine through social media and cell phones as they're going through the high stress of adolescence. Why is this important? Almost every alcoholic discovered alcohol when they were teenagers. When we're very, very young, the only approval we need is the approval of our parents. And as we go through adolescence, we make this transition where we now need the approval of our peers. Very frustrating for our parents, very important for us. It allows us to acculturate outside of our immediate families into the broader tribe. Right? It's a highly, highly stressful and anxious period of our lives. And we're supposed to learn to rely on our friends. Some people, quite by accident, discover alcohol and numbing effects of dopamine to help them cope with the stresses and anxieties of adolescence. Unfortunately, that becomes hardwired in their brains, and for the rest of their lives, when they suffer significant stress, they will not turn to a person, they will turn to the bottle. Social stress, financial stress, career stress, that's pretty much the primary reasons why an alcoholic drinks, right? What's happening is, because we're allowing unfettered access to these dopamine-producing devices and media, Basically, it's becoming hardwired, and what we're seeing is as they grow older, they, too many kids don't know how to form deep, meaningful relationships. Their words, not mine. They will admit that many of their friendships are superficial. They will admit that, their friends, that they don't count on their friends, they don't rely on their friends, they have fun with their friends. But they also know that their friends will cancel all of them if something better comes along. Deep meaningful relationships are not there because they never practice the skill set. And worse, they don't have the coping mechanisms to deal with stress. So when significant stress starts to show up in their lives, they're not turning to a person. They're turning to a device. They're turning to social media. They're turning to these things which offer temporary relief. We know, the science is clear, we know that people who spend more time on Facebook suffer higher rates of depression than people who spend less time on Facebook. Right? These things balanced. Alcohol is not bad. Too much alcohol is bad. Gambling is fun. Too much gambling is dangerous. Right? There's nothing wrong with social media and cell phones. It's the imbalance. Right? If you're sitting at dinner with your friends and you're texting somebody who's not there, that's a problem. That's an addiction. If you're sitting in a meeting with people you're supposed to be listening to and speaking and you put your phone on the table, face up or face down, I don't care, that sends a subconscious message to the room that you're, not just, you're just not that important to me right now. right? That's what happens. And the fact that you cannot put it away is because you are addicted. Right? If you wake up and you check your phone before you say good morning to your girlfriend, boyfriend, or spouse, you have an addiction. And like all addiction, in time it'll destroy relationships, it'll cost time, and it'll cost money, and it'll make your life worse.
0: Right? Do you realize how powerful this is? It's hard to believe, isn't it? Makes us feel important, right? Makes us feel valuable, needed. And part of embracing embracing our limits is seeing ourselves the way God sees me. And that's amazing, but with limits. The second thing we need to look at with embracing my limits is that it's accepting limits as a gift from God. Accepting limits as a gift from God. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, there's Bibles down in your seats and the rack in front of you don't have a Bible with you. I'd love to have you grab one of those. If you don't have one of your own, feel free to take it with you and and review these during the week sometime. But Genesis chapter two, first book in the Bible is Genesis, and just turn to the second chapter. And I want to read a couple verses. They're going to sound a little familiar because we just read um, them repeated somewhere else. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 says this, "'By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy.'" because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, in order to make some sense of this verse, we actually have to go back to the previous chapter. So turn back one page to chapter 1, and I want to show you some highlights from chapter 1, which describes God's creation of the world. So in chapter 1... Look down in verse the end of verse 10. and the end of verse 10, God's talking in the middle of the third day of creating, and He closes that time out at the end of verse 10 by saying, God saw that it was good. And then down in verse 12, at the end of day 3, God saw that it was good. And then move down to the end of verse 18. At the end of day 4, God saw that it was good. And then in the end of verse 20, or excuse me, 21, at the end of day five, God saw that it was good. And then in verse 22, as it begins, God blesses the animals and the birds and the, and the fish, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. At the end of verse 25, as God finishes day six, he says that it was good. In verse 28, God blesses all of mankind, saying, you also be fruitful and multiply, and subdue the earth. And then at the end, in verse 31, he saw it all and he said, what? It was what? Very good. Very good. And so then we get to day seven. We've seen all the creative work of God. And now we get to day seven. And in day seven, God says this. He says, this seventh day that I'm going to give you, in verse three, he blesses it, just like he had the creation of, of all the animals and, the, and the, everything that was living and breathing in mankind. But he did something different. Instead of calling the seventh day good, it says he made it holy. He made it holy. That's different than just calling it good. Because in making it holy, God says there's something unique and distinct about this day. That's what the word holy means. It's separate. It's set aside. This is not like that chewy that the dog has that rolls around on the ground it's all nasty and you just kick it over in the corner and he finds it later and chews on it again, you know? Or that toy that you've had three or four kids go through and it's in rough shape and you're like, time to get rid of this thing. You know? No, we're talking about the china that's in the closet that you might be allowed to touch when you get to a certain age. Set the table with. Or that family heirloom that you just wonder maybe gets passed down to you at some point in time in the future. That's what holy is. Something unique and distinct and separate. And God says this day, and look at, what he, look at the reason, because on it, He rested. On it, He rested. What did God bless on that seventh day? Did God bless activity? No. God blessed rest. That's what He blessed. And so the Sabbath is not something forced upon you, but it's a gift that God offers to you. And I hope that over these next few weeks you come to believe that that a Sabbath, a day of rest, is not something forced upon you a have to, but it's a gift offered to you as something that you want to do that. Think about this for a moment. If the infinite, almighty, all powerful God, who the Psalm David writes, never slumbers or sleeps, stopped to rest, why didn't he do that? He didn't have to. He chose to do that. But we've decided that there's one more project we have to accomplish. There's one more email we have to send. There's one more message we have to reply to. One more bill we have to pay. And without realizing the truth is we've convinced ourselves that if I, don't, if I stop my world, our family will fall apart. That's what we've convinced ourselves of. What have we done? What have we done? Have we made ourselves out to be more important than God himself? You see, the Sabbath is a day to let God be God. The Sabbath is a day to say, God, I'm just going to turn this over to you. The Sabbath is a day to say, I'm going to trust you with my life, with my problems, with my struggles, with my world. I'm just going to give them to you and I'm going to choose to step away on that day. Last month we talked about our finances. And there was one core issue we talked about, and that was the issue of trust. And this month we're going to talk about another issue that God is inviting you to trust Him, and that's your time. Your time. And in our culture today, time is more valuable than money, isn't it? It is. And God says, will you trust me with your time you know we all have things that put limits on us I'm taking this medication right now It's called a beta blocker it puts limits on some things that I can do Um, age puts limits on us but we're constantly trying to push against these limits trying to push the outer bounds of those limits you know we see it today in professional athletes who know they have this limited window of time that they're gonna be at the top of their sport and very effective They're doing everything they can just to stretch it out just a little bit more. Special diet, special sleep regimen. They have sleep specialists. They have personal masseuses. They float in salt baths. They do anything they can just to stretch that limit just a little bit more. And even though we might not be at the skill level they are, how often do we believe that to be true about ourselves? You know, when I call my dad, who... um, I'll call him a workaholic, he might not admit to it, but I'll call him that. Um, I'll often say, how you doing, Dad? And he's like, oh, son, he's like, got so many things to do, got a long list of things to do. And I'm like, I'm like um, you know, well, Dad, those things will be there tomorrow. And if you're not here tomorrow, someone else will decide if those things are important. And he laughs about it, you know. But there's always this unfinished list of things that never get done. And um, Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says this. He says, life this side of heaven is an unfinished symphony We accomplish one goal and then immediately we're confronted with new opportunities and challenges, but ultimately we'll die with countless unfinished projects and goals. That's okay. God is at work taking care of the universe, and he manages quite well without having us to run things for him. When we're sleeping, he's working. So he commands us to relax, to enjoy the fact that we're not in charge of the world, that even when we die, the world will continue nicely without us. We can go back to that verse that I read earlier from Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. The first part of the verse says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. Just a different translation taken from the message. But it just reminds us of what Jesus offers, of what He invites us to do. And as I said to you earlier, this is one of my greatest struggles And then some of it comes from being a firstborn. Some of it comes from having responsibility put on me at a young age, and I just kind of grabbed onto that and took on more than I should. But the result is I still have to wrestle with this. I still have to decide if I am going to come to Jesus, if I'm going to get away with Him, and I'm going to learn from Him. He certainly had demands on his life. There were multitudes following, crowds following him everywhere he went. But he figured out a way to live in the right rhythm that God had for him. And so my challenge for you is to ask and to discover, God, what are the limits that I need to live in? If this is a gift you're giving me, what are the limits that I need to live in? Maybe one of your limits is a season in life. One of our guys in leadership here a few years back said, John, I've got to take a break from this responsibility because my daughters are in this season of life that I want to be available for them. Because of my job, I have limited time and I can't serve in this way. And he took a step back from that seat because of that season of life he was in. Maybe you're limited just by who you are as a person. You know, if you're an extrovert and you're energized by people, or you're an introvert and you, you need silence to feel like you're whole and capable of functioning, it's part of who God has made you to be. Maybe you're facing some physical limitations. There's a woman who attends here and just has some health limitations and she was just saying, John, I just wish I could serve and be involved and she just can't right now because of her health. That's just really hard to accept the limits that we have. Learning how to say, I would love to, but I just can't might be a phrase that all of us would do well to adopt. I would love to because it expresses our heart, but I just can't. You know, as a staff, we jokingly talk about that we have this love-hate affair with the word no, because when we ask one of you to serve in some way and you say, no, I can't, um, we're like, that's good, you're setting boundaries and limits, but we hate that, because now we have to go ask someone else, will they step in and do this? But we recognize how hard this is. How hard it is. You know, one of our values is intentional rhythms. Another value is, is, you know, meaningful relationships. And we realize that we have to set limits on these things in our lives to be able to do this. And that's part of being honest about who we are and about who God's made us to be. But there's one last thing I want to challenge you about. Because some of you may be putting life on pause. Maybe you're stopping. Maybe you're taking breaks. Maybe you're doing some of those things on the outside But what's it look like to do that on the inside? Have you ever had this experience that um, you were going, 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 you finally stopped and you finally slowed down and you finally paused, but your mind is just going and going and going and going. It just won't stop. Anybody ever had that experience? Confess to it in church? Okay, there's a few hands. We need more than that. I know there's a lot more of you out there, you know. Yeah, it does it, doesn't it? I had this experience recently where I just had a lot of things happening and a lot of demands, and and I sat down to just kind of pause and and rewrite a list of things, and I was like feverishly scrolling these out. I was like, what in the world is going on here? I just sat and stopped, but my brain and my body hadn't paused yet. You know, And the truth is, as much as we sometimes want to pause and stop on the outside, what does it take for that to happen on the inside? Look at the next verse that Jesus says. He says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I think there's a couple ways that we learn to slow down on the inside. Um, and we learn to rest. One of, the ones, one of the ways that we do that, and this may seem a little unusual, is we know what recharges us, what re-energizes us. You say, how does that help you rest? Because our brains can't focus on, our brains can't, we can't be involved in two separate activities. And so when we turn our attention towards something, and so my question to you is, what energizes you? What recharges your batteries? Do you know? Do you know? For some of you, it's just, being outside, finding a trail, just going for a walk, right? In the woods. For the others of you, it's just finding a quiet place of solitude. You know, for others of you, maybe it's being with friends, and that energizes and just recharges your battery. Do you know what those things are? For some of you, it's doing something creative. If you have an artistic side that's really strong, it's probably writing or painting or doing something artistic, creating music. I mean, for me, I have four of them that I know. One is rest. We're going to talk about that next week. Second is recreation. I like physical activity and doing something. Third is reading, finding a good book and sitting down for an hour or two for me. And the last is relationships, being with people. And so finding the things that energize you is a way that stills your soul because you're focused on the things that give you life. But there's another part of this too. Because God wants you to slow down to be with Him. And for much of our culture, it's really hard for us to figure out how do we do that. We're going to spend some time over these next couple of weeks to talk about what that looks like. And it doesn't mean doing more. It's not what it means. But I want us just to just engage in just being quiet before the Lord this morning. I'm going to read a couple of uh, verse to you. And I just want you to repeat it quietly back to me. So I'm going to ask everyone if you just close your eyes, set aside all the distractions around you. And as I read this verse, I want you to sit quietly with it. Remind yourself of God's truth and ask God to use this to even slow your heart and mind down right now. Okay? Here we go. Be still before the Lord. Repeat, repeat it after me. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently. Be still before the Lord and wait be still before the Lord. Be still. Be. God invites you just to quietly come into his presence. Part of embracing limits is just discovering what is it going to take? For you to be still in the presence of God. And sometimes that's with Scripture. Sometimes it's other things that energize you and reinvigorate you. But I hope that over these next few weeks you're able to see this gift of, this idea of Sabbath as being a gift that God is offering to you. Don't be surprised as you enter this that you're going to have people that you love, family, spouse, kids, that are going to push back and say, I don't know if we need to do this. But remember, God is offering this to you as a gift. As a gift. And He's saying, I want you just to pause. To pause. And Jesus says in that last verse, In Matthew 11, he says, if you keep company with me, you experience a new way of living life. And so as you leave this morning, I want to challenge you to ask yourself, what limits do you need to embrace in your life? Where do you need to say no? So that you can say yes. What do you love to do? What brings life to your heart and soul that you have stopped doing because the waves of your responsibilities have buried it? And as you slow down and stop, how are you going to meet and be in God's presence this week? This week. We're going to talk more about this over the next few weeks, but my hope and prayer is that maybe even this afternoon, maybe just you, maybe your family say, you know, let's just put all these things in the other room and turn them off for just a few hours. The world will still be here when we come back. Um, And we're just going to be together and be present and be with one another. And God just might show up in the midst of that in a pretty amazing way. Father, as we close this morning, I just pray that You would help us to be honest with You about where we're at right now on this subject. No one likes to admit that something has a hold on them, that something that they're addicted to something. But if the first service was any indication, we've all been challenged about that this morning. And so Lord, I just pray that uh, as we face this challenge of stopping and trying to get out of the waves that are just pummeling us, God, um, That you would help us to do that. God, sometimes it's not even anyone putting a responsibility on us as much as our own guilt that we feel because we're not doing something productive. And so God, help us to see the pattern and rhythm that you created that you have given for us to live. And Father, as we try to figure out how do we live this out, That we would see this Sabbath as a gift. Not as something that we have to do. But something that you offer to us. Every week. From your hand. Help us God to do this. We can't do this on our own. In your name we pray. Amen.